This is Bambi by Prince, which featured as the B-side to the single Still Awaiting and landed on his 1979 sophomore album simply called Prince. And my producer, my wonderful producer Sam, said, Hey, you haven't let me choose a song yet. So he decided to turn it on for you for the Super Prince fans, the fans who love the B-sides, not your Purple Rains, not when doves cry, but the real Prince fans. And they consider it one of the best examples of his virtuosic guitar playing. So, uh, Sam, there you go. Great track, great choice. Haven't heard this for a while. And it's, um, I don't know on the panel if anybody here is a particularly um, a, a, a Prince fan, Jock Anderson. What are you listening to in Edinburgh? Uh, the, uh, the call of the bagpipes or what? Oh, there's, there's, there's bagpipes in every corner. You just can't get away from them. And the uh, interesting thing about bagpipes in Edinburgh is that, is that uh, the range of ethnicities of people who play the bagpipes. Uh, okay. It is really quite interesting. You'll find, you know, Sikhs and all sorts of people uh, on down there on Princess Street, the Princess Street Gardens, and, you know, playing the bagpipes. It's great stuff. But I'm always Rolling Stones, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Lonnie Donegan, and that oh, order. Look, <laughs> good choice, Joel. Lonnie Donegan, it's, yeah. Um, uh, the bagpipes, did you say here, here, sir? Are you a fan of the bagpipes? Huge fan of the bagpipes. How, why? Uh, probably my Scottish heritage. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, I've but what about the sound of them? Love them, yeah. Really? I do. I think they're fantastic. I, if, I mean, the Queen used to have a, someone waking her up every morning by playing yes. the bab, bagpipes outside her window. I'd Good be delighted uh, to, yeah, have, um, to wake up like that. I think they're fabulous. Do you agree you with can't that? Beat, you can't beat Wallace. You can't beat marching down from the castle, uh, down the Royal Mile, um, you know, the pipe band, mass pipe bands. I'll tell you what. You know, the hairs on all parts of your body just sort of stand up there and the tears are in your eyes. You can't Gosh. Beat it. Good on you, Jock. Very good. This is uh this Having is a, a very moving time <laughs> over there, Jock. <laughs> do you do you miss do you miss the great Timmers? Do you miss Timaru just remotely just a little bit? I always miss Timaru because I've got some good mates in Timaru. Um but I'm making friends here. And, of course, my, my best friend is here, Elizabeth, and um, that's really all I want. Can I just briefly, uh, you don't, I don't want to intrude too much, Jock, but you, you came on the panel and you announced that you were leaving for love. Can I just ask you, because um, this person that you met, uh, pen yes. pal or otherwise, how was the love going? 100%. Um, Elizabeth and I, of course, are both Scottish. We both came to New Zealand when we were wee kids. We were childhood sweethearts at primary and secondary school. Uh, our paths uh, separated for uh, oh, nearly 50 years. And then we reconnected back in 2019 when I came over here for a holiday. Oh, wow. And, Jock, it uh, sounds like of, you were destined. Yeah. We were, and um, I mean, there's been a there's been a wee bit of publicity about our about yeah. our romance, you know. <laughs> BBC covered the wedding. Hang on, the BBC <laughs> covered Jock Anderson's wedding. Yeah, television. Yeah. When was that, Jock? <laughs> it was on the 26th of March this year. 
Amazing. And the wedding was held on uh, on a ship called Fingal, uh, which is moored down at Leith, and it's a sister ship of the Royal Yacht Britannia. Good Lord. And it's a five-star boutique luxury hotel. And uh, we decided that that was going to be our wedding venue. Um, we had originally thought we might get married on board a Cunard ship by a captain, um, but that wasn't uh, that wasn't going to happen. So we found Fingal, and uh, there we are. Living the dream, Sue, isn't he? Living the Scottish dream. Bagpipes flooding the eyes with tears. A childhood sweetheart reconnected, and the and and and, and the wedding filmed by the BBC. Good grief! Uh, back to work, and, though. And uh, and I've been I've been wearing a kilt as well. Yeah, enough about that. Uh, uh, don't don't want to know anymore. Do not know want to know anymore. Uh, kia ora, Wallace, on the panel. I agree with the woman who was just speaking. I was a bus driver for a year in Tamaki Makaurau. Very responsible job at peak hours with buses packed with passengers. It is a job requiring great skill and Absolutely. dealing with the occasional abusive and aggressive uh, customer it's stressful. The contracting system led to contracts given to the lowest bidder who offered drivers those lowest wages. A split shift meant days were driving over the morning and afternoon peak traffic periods and having a long unpaid break in the middle of the day. So that meant a workday stretching 12 hours. Gosh. That's yeah. the explanation for why we're short of 800 uh, bus drivers in New Zealand, right I th- there. I think Tony said it the best, didn't he? Kia ora, Tony. Thank you for your time. Regarding um, uh, perceptions of public transport, hey, did you see the photo of Paul McCartney taking the train recently? <laughs> I did, I did. 20 to 5. We have heard much about staffing shortages in health. Some pretty desperate stories have emerged, both from a patient's perspective and from the view of staff. And one health recruiter is saying what is concerning her uh, isn't on who's what's known as the green list and who's not on the list. Paediatricians, oncologists, gastroenterologists, they're not on the list. Now NZ's green list is um, a list of highly skilled occupations that allow migrants to have fast-track residency to fill certain jobs here. And with us is health recruiter Prudence Thompson. Prudence, welcome. Hi, hi, hi. So Prudence, you recruit for the health sector. Tell us about that. What are the challenges you're facing and we're seeing? Yeah, look, I'm a nurse myself, a registered nurse. I've worked here in the Middle East and the UK, spent the last 25 years recruiting for New Zealand. And immigration up until this point have been marvellous. They've fast-tracked people through a critical purpose visa through uh, the pandemic. They've made sensible decisions. They've expedited applications for GPs and rural doctors, and they've been amazing. But the green list. The green list is, as you said, a fast track to residency. Tier one is people get residency from offshore. Tier two, you have to wait 24 months to be assured of applying for residency. Nurses and midwives and all the good staff that we need are not on tier one, which is crazy. They're on tier two. And tier one is made up with a very select list of professionals, medical professionals, of which cardiologists, paediatricians, oncologists, gastroenterologists are left off the list completely. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, on the face of it, quite extraordinary, doesn't it? Particularly the backdrop to what we've been talking about uh, at length 
on this show and other shows on RNZ, and that is, gosh, the extraordinary situation in health right now. Um, uh, but uh, one explanation was that this list was done in a bit of a hurry. We were in a pandemic. It is up for review mid-2023. What's the issue with waiting a few more months? The issue is waiting a few months means that patients will wait a few more months. Patients' bowels won't be screened. Their cancers won't be looked at for oncologists. Children won't be seen by paediatricians because we have waiting lists for all these subspecialties. And it will put off people coming to New Zealand. If, if an oncologist or gastroenterologist looks at the list as it stands, mm. they will go, oh, I'm not on the list to yeah. come to New Zealand. Right. Do you think they'll come back and revisit it? Um, no, probably not. It's eh? so frustrating. And it's not difficult to make that change. It isn't difficult. And it's, we're only talking about probably 30 specific doctors who we need. And those 30 people will save the lives of at least 100 people in the next 12 months, I believe. Jock Anderson, you first on this. Yeah, look, it, seem, it seems unbelievable that there would be people on this green list, as you say, multimedia specialists and yes. food technologists. What on earth are they? I mean, surely we're crying out for, for anyone who works in the health uh, business, in, in, in the health profession. We shouldn't be putting restrictions at all in their place. I'm just wondering, Prudence, if in your experience... You, you you have finding that this is an international situation, that there's a difficulty in getting sufficient uh, skilled and qualified uh, health professionals. Uh, are we not taking enough into the profession for training? Um, to answer that question, no, we're not. We ha- can't train enough people here due to funding and also senior supervision. And also there's international competition for these doctors so we have to make New Zealand as easy as possible to come to and you're right, food technologists and multimedia specialists, why are they a priority over an oncologist? Yeah, Uh, Prudence, we've got a a text here, gynecologists also, I've been on the waiting list since Feb I have a 12 centimetre growth and still waiting, it's the not knowing that's hard to deal with. So that um, uh, listener right there exemplifies the, the very real issue yeah. we are facing. That is, those on waiting lists going, oh my goodness me, hurry up, please, Sue Kedley. Well, it's just completely incomprehensible to me. I'm just at a loss to understand. When we're thousands of nurses and midwives short, why we would not have them on the fast track residency? It's just I just yeah. cannot figure it out. Well, and we're, whereas we have multimedia specialists there, but you'd think that we would be just pulling out all the stops to get nurses, uh, midwives, oncologists to New Zealand. And in in the case of nurses and, and midwives, of course, it's not simply fast tracking um, residency. It's also uh, increasing the pay and paying them decently. Prudence? Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. Um, we go up until the last two years, we haven't, but we go offshore regularly. We're going to the States in December, the Netherlands, Singapore, and the UK in March. We go offshore, meet these people, and I hope that this green list is changed by then because it will be embarrassing to say to these nurses, yes, we want you to come to New Zealand, but you have to be on a work permit or, you know, work residency for two years first. It is, it is absolutely, as you said, incomprehensible. 
there's such a competition out there, such a global competition. Uh, that's all you need to uh, put nurses and midwives and oncologists from coming here. Hey Prudence, lovely to have you on the program. Kiara, thank you for that. That's Prudence Thompson, health recruiter. There, did you want to? Sorry, Jock, I cut you off there. Brief yeah, I response. think the, I think the 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 government's put up some pretty lame excuses um, in trying to support or defend this this green list. You know, they got the prime minister saying, "Well, there's a wide range of medical professionals." The range is clearly not wide enough. Surely, the the evidence is there. It's being spelt out by people like Prudence, and um, that. Yeah, and others. The, the, the gaps are there and they should be filled. And here's another one. My daughter is a nurse living in Auckland, has been offered a $10,000 relocation bonus to go to Melbourne. Hmm. Say no more. Well, they're up yes. and down There's the country recruiting yep. our nurses. Uh, 13 to 5, by the way, um, it was lovely hearing Jock's story. Um, a few people say Jock, and there's nothing more moving than the bagpipes, especially when accompanied by a brass band, says Carol. I want to highlight this because if there's any way that small businesses, which make up a 97% of all firms in Aotearoa, get paid on time, I'm for highlighting that. Many of you will have stories of waiting for that payment, checking your account every day. How long have you had to wait to get paid? According to Zero, there's around $7.4 billion in overdue payments. It turns out Paul Verich and Matt Peacock were thinking the same thing. There are a couple of surf life-saving mates. They came up with a solution that could work for some. Kia ora, Paul Verich. Kia ora, how are you? Good. So what was your motivating factor to come up with a solution? So, yeah, it was born out of an idea that, um, that Matt had. Matt's a consultant engineer and he's been uh, consulting here for 20 years and he's been grappling with that late payment issue and non-payment issue as a, as a sole practitioner uh, for, for 20 years. He's actually lost money, he's had companies go into liquidation and it's just really time-consuming the current process that all small businesses who invoice go through and so he approached me with uh, a potential idea and, and I could see the merit in it straight away. And together we thought, heck, if there's one thing that's really important, it's helping small businesses Absolutely. get the money that they deserve. I, I brought it up, Paul, because late payments, non-payment, blimmin' painful, eh? Absolutely. At, at the time, you know, 20 million plus hours spent a year chasing those payments. And remember, those are payments that the work has already been done and the supplies incurred all the expense to deliver it. So it's not like they don't deserve it. All right, what do you got then? You've, got, you, you've come up with a um, little um, a, a piece of software, an app, have you? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we've created an app that secures a client payment before the project starts, and that gets secured in the BNZ Trust account. Um, and then the suppliers get paid immediately every time when that agreed job oh. is done. I quite like this. So quite a nice little workaround. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, a, you know, we think it's going to be the new way to, to pay. It's going to be the new way to make sure that um, businesses get that money that they deserve. Sue Kisley? Yeah, no, great idea, great innovation. It, I've um, had to do a few things recently, and, and I had to pay a 50% up front um, and then a 50% when the job was done. But it is it is extraordinary, isn't it, that that these small businesses, you know, 
well, they have to wait around for weeks on end uh, to get payment for something. So any innovation like this, I think, is fantastic. Here's one. Uh, A small business did some security work in my house. Took them four months to get the job done. They want a payment within four days. You're assuming the work by small businesses is done on time and on budget. That's another side of things. That's a good fair point, too. Jock, how do you see this? I think it's a novel sort of an idea. Um, and speaking uh, as one uh, who has been somewhat tardy in the past in paying some of his bills, um, but I am I am reminded of the very first time I got my newspaper uh, printed uh, a few years ago in Ashburton at the Ashburton Guardian. The publisher, the proprietor of the newspaper, Mr. John Bell, uh, required me to front up with folding cash money, um, which he very uh, laboriously counted out uh, in his uh, hand and put in his pocket, and then they pushed the button and and uh, started the presses rolling. Uh, maybe if there was a wee bit more of that and a little bit less uh, of businesses allowing people to take ages and ages and ages to pay their bills, um, you know, the situation might be different. But good on these good on these guys for trying them. If it works, it works. It's worth a try. Absolutely. So it's called I Promise, isn't it, Paul? So all the best for it, and uh, let's see if it uh, flies uh, amongst small businesses. Excellent. Thanks very much for your time. Very good. There's Paul Berish there who is... Uh, yeah, uh, with his um, uh, a friend um, bringing a new business to life to help you get paid on time. It's nine to five. You on the panel are NZ National, and we have Sue Kesley and Jock Anderson joining us uh, from Scotland. Must be about three fifty there, or very, very uh, early or late anyway. But thanks, uh, Jock, for being with us. Four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, Jock, now- are you ever coming back to New Zealand, or have we lost you? Um, you never lose me. Someone will also find me. Um, it's a bit up in the air at this stage. Um, it's, you know, the intention is, yes, to return to New Zealand, um, but we've got a few things that we want to do and achieve. Good on here. you. Uh, to and, this. Uh, yep. Yeah, to this. Now, it may have taken two years, but Hamiltonians are finally rejoicing that transport officials have given the go-ahead to clear the rampant weeds from the state of the highway traffic islands. It goes back to 2020, the story, after requirements were changed so that Waka Kotahi had to approve plans to work like this following the death of three road workers in the Bay of Plenty. With us is the Hamilton City Council Transport Unit Director, Gordon Naidu. Kia ora, Gordon. Uh, kia ora. Good to have you here, Gordon, and I must say I did notice it a bit. I mean, it didn't do a whole lot of travel, of course, over lockdown, but, uh, you know, there were those traffic islands in Hamilton were, which were uh, not loved. With all the gorse, uh, Gordon, I could see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we had a couple of challenges, and I think as you uh, introduced it, uh, there's been changes in terms of Wakagutai uh, for the traffic management plans on State Highway. Um, so we had a bit of challenges, and, and also given it was COVID, and so there's a bit of restrictions working on the state highway at that time. Yeah, uh, this is obviously um, uh, it got out of hand. Um, but we want to thank our community for their patience, and I'll be back on track and uh, hoping to get out there. We've made a start uh, to get out there and clean those gardens. It's a reminder, isn't it, that you never think of those traffic islands until they get overgrown as they did in Hamilton with gorse. Then they look blimmin' shocking. Absolutely, and I think it's a, it's a general reminder 
that, you know, we need to get on and maintain those things regularly. But also, it's an opportunity for us to actually look at how we improve uh, those islands going forward. And, and do we need to go and look at different species uh, that requires less maintenance, yes, given, yes. given climate changes? And, you know, it's, it's with more intensive rainfall and growth that we'll need more uh, regular maintenance of those here, islands. Here, Gordon, here, here. And Sue, I don't know if you've ever, ever been uh, uh, to uh, Hamilton recently, but they've got a lot of the, uh, um, the, the tussocks, the indigenous grasses there alongside their motorways. Oh, it looks fantastic. Uh, yes, I have been to Hamilton and, and uh, think it's a fantastic place, unlike some of your other... Um, panelists. Kristen, listen. Yes. But anyway, um, I like this idea of, though, trying different species. I think that's a great idea. What about these roadside wildflower corridors? And they have them for, they also, all over Europe now, they're getting into these so-called bee corridors. So you have sort of wildflowers to attract the bees, which are are globally under threat. So why don't we look at some of these sort of things? And, And also... I always worry a bit about, you know, what they're spraying all over the, to get rid of these weeds. Can't we do things so we don't have to use all those nasty uh, weed killers and pesticides? Bee corridors, Gordon, you heard it here first on the panel. I like that. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. So I'll definitely be taking that on board. Yeah. Oh, wonderful, park, wonderful. Park, park, <laughs> we'll be taking on passing on to parks and properties people to have a look at that. No, 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 seriously, I mean, we, we, we didn't want to sort of get you on and sort of uh, telling off about the gorse because the, 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 the avenues along the expressways look really sharp. They actually do with the, you know, the, the, the native um, uh, indigenous plants there. Jock, what of this so for have you? I, have, I, have I missed something here? Is there, is there some law or rule or regulation that yes. prohibits the maintenance of these um, plantings? Gordon, that you, yes. can't, you can't just go and get a gorse cutter out and cut the cut the things out and get rid of them. There's some, yeah. So, so what's happened? And I can help with that, answer that question. So, what's happened in the past is that all that activity was done through a mobile operation where we had vehicles projecting the workers, and you drove along. Ah, oh, uh, yes, yeah, did it. yeah. So, given the fatalities uh, in 2020, um, there yeah. is now a more risk-based approach. So, every site has to be specific to the environment and. So it's more traffic management. There's more traffic signs out there. The layouts are different. So it takes a long time. And we keep on, you know, the, uh, the, the plans have to address all those risks. So it's back and forth, making sure we got it absolutely right to protect uh, the workers, staff, and people on the network. Love it, Gordon. Right. Hey, okay. thanks for that. And uh, please do, from the panel, because people are really enjoying this um, wildflower bee corridor, you guys, could do, you guys could do it. Be a first, yeah, we, another first for <laughs> Hamilton. Because Hamilton's we, got these brilliant gardens. No, so this, the best. The, the best, best in New Zealand. So Chris this could Finneson be another extension. Didn't know what he was talking about when he called it Dullesville. Absolutely. Kia ora, Gordon. Thanks for Kira. your time there. Um, last word to you, Jock. I really appreciate you being up. I can't just ask you again, how's your marriage working? How did, how's it going? It's not Dorothy Dixon. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's going very well. We're getting on amazingly well together. Um, yeah. But mind you, we're no strangers. You know, we might have been apart for 50-odd years, but you yeah, know, we're no 50 strangers. 50 years, and A you're together. Isn't it yeah. just wonderful? It's so romantic, you know. Y- y- you wake up, you have your eggs and breakfast, you know, you've got your bon vita in the evenings, you... Uh, Christmas, you have haggis. You go down to the square to listen to the pipe bands. It must be you must be in heaven. 
Look, we don't wait till Christmas for haggis. You can oh. have haggis any time, and it's porridge yeah. here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've got buses and the buses that turn up. We've got I mean, it sounds like heaven. You've got light rail. Yeah. You've got buses. And I, and I can tell you too, we've got we've got the probably the best crime writer in the UK, probably Who's that? the world at the moment, Ian Rankin. Oh, the best. Who lives who lives in, and works in Edinburgh. And we both uh, drink in the same pub. Oh, you're dropping uh, the bomb on us, Jock. It's going to be hard to get you back. Yeah, we've got to not leave at, you there. Not, not at the same time. Not at the same time. I haven't met okay. him yet, but I'm hoping. You've both been fantastic. Uh, Sue Kishley, Jock Anderson, thank you so much. little bit of Prince. Kia ora, Sam, for that. I'm Wallace Chapman. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next. I'm back tomorrow, 3.45.